We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back with Dale Falwell, the North Carolina State Treasurer. We've uh, we've already talked about the state health plan, and that is a very big issue. And if you missed that part of the broadcast, you may want to go back and listen to it by going to carolinanewsmakers.com, and we'll talk about that a little later, uh, 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 how to do that a little later on, uh, because the clear pro- pricing issue is one that is uh, so interesting and uh, can bring down the cost of health care. Uh, it's an interesting, interesting issue, and we've already discussed it, and you can hear that uh, by going back and listening to that part of the broadcast. Okay, let's, uh, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the overall economy. Uh, you know, the uh, economists will always tell you we have an economic cycle, and that means there are going to be good times and bad times in the economy. Uh, we had an extreme recession about, uh, what, uh, 10 years ago now, and... Uh, but since that time, we have been uh, in what is called a bull market, uh, good times. Mm-hmm. Uh, people keep saying, well, we may have a slight recession next year, maybe the year after. What do you see? Where do you see the economy going as a whole? Well, uh, what I see is what everybody sees if, uh, if they're looking around, and that is that interest rates, especially as you adjust them for inflation or it all-time lows of our lifetime, right? Yes. Uh, they see uh, employment at an all-time high of our lifetime, uh, and they see the stock market at an all-time high. And uh, and oil, uh, price of oil is, is down. You know, I paid two eighteen for gas this week. Uh, and so that's what people are experiencing. Obviously, any time that something is run as long as this uh, bull market has, people are are, are – are concentrating on making sure they have a margin of safety in anything they're invested in. And uh, as a state treasurer, I can't give investment advice to the listeners, but just people just need to know where their money is and why it's there. It's just basic, really basic questions. And but, but uh, generally speaking, no one is really calling for an immediate uh, change in the economy, like in the next six months or nine months. And nobody's really calling for that. But um, as you and I know, uh, as many of these as we've experienced it, it, nobody calls you. <laughs> it just happens, and it happens. Sometimes it's uh, fast, like it happened in '08, and sometimes fast, like it happened in '87, and <clears throat> sometimes it's torturous because uh, it happened over a long period of time. The, the challenge with this pension plan, going back to the headwinds facing it, is that as good as this market has been over the last ten years, the plan has not—I repeat—has not earned its assumed rate of return. That's the money. That's the amount. Of, the interest. The amount it has to earn to keep up with paying the benefit. It has not earned that on average for the last twenty-one years, and my prediction is it's not going to earn it for the next twenty-one years. And so, when you have a situation like that, you need to make sure you understand why your money's where it is, and make sure that none of it's unnecessarily being spent, especially when you have over nine hundred thousand people on this pension plan. And by the way, Don, I think I've said this on your show before, that's one out of 10 adult North Carolinians. Uh, Next week, we're going to send out pension checks that amount to $525 million. That's for 30 days on the pension plan. By the way, uh, when that uh, assumed rate was established, uh, uh, you could go to the savings and loans and which don't exist anymore, but you could get five or six percent interest, and so it was natural to assume that that interest rate was going to be higher. 
and uh, that's not there anymore. So that's part of the problem that you have to overcome. But it should have been adjusted sure. uh, to to reality along the way. Yeah, and uh, I never had the pleasure of meeting uh, Mr. Bowles, and not sure uh, 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 of. But I can tell you, uh, it doesn't matter how how unathletic you are. Uh, when you can earn ten percent in treasury bonds, and your hurdle was six, four, six, or seven, it's pretty easy to be the state treasurer. But uh, obviously, he faced a lot of challenges too. But lower interest rates was not one of them. You also, of course, are worried and concerned about the health of the cities and counties in North Carolina because that is a, a part of our overall government. Mm-hmm. So uh, how do you view the situation with our cities and counties? And, and, of course, we know that we've got growing counties that are just growing fast as you can look at, and we've got some counties, about uh, a large number of counties, that are actually either stagnant or uh, decreasing in growth, and that's a problem. Well, I would say this, and not to, you know, I'll say this as humbly as I can. Uh, there's no elected official in North Carolina, either constitutionally or statutorily, that has more responsibility for the health and well-being of the counties and the cities and the state treasurer, no matter who that treasurer happens to be. And the reason is, is that the state treasurer, I, in this case, uh, chair the local government commission, and that's where 1,310 entities come in front of the local government commission in order to be able to borrow money. So that's all 100 counties. Uh, that's uh, the 540-some-odd cities, the water and sewer districts, the Raleigh-Durham Airport. So having a, a, a prosperous and, and solvent county and city system is very important. Uh, your listeners over the next uh, few years especially are going to see some cities, for example, you didn't ask about cities, but it's the same question. You're going to see some cities that get dechartered. Uh, who can no longer function as cities because they just can't make it. Their their populations have dwindled, their costs have gone up, and their water and sewer districts are crumbling. And and uh, we're working on something also called a historical charter, charter which means that any time a, a city uh, loses its incorporation, so to speak, that they can just be in a historical charter so that they can call themselves whatever it is they've been calling themselves as an unincorporated area. But very important um this this so this, this is about set, seven, that infrastructure yeah. when there's no city to take care of the infrastructure well actually there's some legislation coming through right now and then raleigh and the general assembly to kind of deal with this and and i, I don't mean to be uh, crude to your listeners but we're ba- we're talking about the basics of flushing a toilet and when you don't have water and sewer or, or when your water and sewer rates are 150 dollars a month in some parts of rural north carolina you that means you don't really have access to water and sewer. It's not that the line's not coming past you, but this is a very serious matter. And uh, at part of the LGC, for example, we just approved a pump a few months ago, a sewer pump for Sparta. And, you know, pumps are different in, in the mountains than they are, you know, at the coast. But that pump was supposed to cost $486,000, and the cost came in at $700,000. So when you're dealing with a small water and sewer district, you know, two or $300,000, it takes you a long time to make that up, but having accessible, affordable water and sewer, health care, and, and good public education are the, the, the requirements for counties and cities, especially in rural North Carolina, to survive, and, and we take that, that responsibility very seriously. Now, the General Assembly is in session. The budget is being discussed. We've got a couple of budget plans on the table, um, and uh, there's 
a lot of political rhetoric going on about whether the budget passed will be vetoed, et cetera, et cetera. What is the legislation that particularly affects the, the uh, Treasurer's Office that, uh, that you're looking at, and where does that stand? Well, the legislation they passed last year, which I, I was um, hoping that there would be funding for, is the, called the Solvency Fund. Uh, the Solvency Fund was one of the first, if not the first, in the United States that basically acknowledges that we're going to set up a fund to start dealing with these unfunded liabilities. Your listeners don't wake up and think about unfunded liabilities, at least I hope they don't. Uh, they wake up thinking about educating their kids and having safe streets and, and, and good roads and all those other core functions of, of state government. The Solvency Fund basically acknowledges to the rating agencies that we actually have a fund that we're going to start funding to take care of these massive unfunded health care and pension liabilities. So let me put that in context. Harlan Bowles, who I mentioned in a previous segment, said 40 years ago, 40 years ago, that one day these little understood unfunded health care and pension liabilities associated with public service workers would eventually equal, surpass, and dwarf the state debt. As we sit here today, Don, these unfunded liabilities are about eight times the state debt, over $48 billion of unfunded pension health care liability. And the reason this should matter, especially to people in your, who are listening to this, Warren Buffett, who has been my mentor for 32 years and one of the best investors of our lifetime, said just two months ago, any company in America who's thinking about expanding or relocating had better look at the unfunded health care and pension liabilities of the state they're going to and the community they're going to. These communities like Wake County have hundreds of millions of dollars of unfunded liabilities. It's not just a state issue. It's also a city issue and a county issue, both not just on the pension plans, but also on the health care plans. So uh, how do we get out of this mess? Well, it's like an ain't eating a ham biscuit. It's, uh, it's one bite at a time. And we've put forth proposals to do that. Unfortunately, uh, some of the simple proposals that we put forth last year, uh, Governor Cooper vetoed them, uh, had no interest in really understanding the, the real problems that we're facing uh, with these unfunded liabilities and how these rating agencies are actually looking at not just what we're saying, but what we're doing about it. Um, so what the clear pricing project for the health plan is going to be a, a big deal, being able to to lower the trend on health care uh, increases is is huge. So it's a lot of big things and it's a lot of little things. But at the end of the day, every, every day, you got to just take a little bit of a bite out of it. Now, I understand from Tom Campbell that uh, a number of these things uh, are, are being addressed as far as future obligations with new employees as far as their pension and so forth. Mm-hmm. But, of course, we've made promises that we have to keep. Yes, and actually nothing has happened on the pension side. There's been some things that happened on the health care side as far as future employees, but nothing has happened on the pension side. And to kind of put this in context, uh, I've already talked about the Wall Street fees. Let me just talk briefly about life expectancies, and and, uh, this is becoming more uh, important to me as I get older. Uh, When I was in high school in Winston-Salem in the late 70s, there were uh, 248 people over the age of 90 who were getting a pension check off the pension plan that we've been talking about. This month, it'll be 7,300 people getting a pension check over the age of 90. So we've had increased life expectancies. 
the pension plan has no minimum retirement age. So once people get their years of service, they can retire and people are living longer and interest rates are at all time low. And we have a lot of this money that's an interest rate bearing investment. So these are major challenges, but we approach it like we do everything else uh, with integrity, ability and passion. And that's how we solve a problem. Dale Fall was our guest. We'll be back with one final segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. But I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses, you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right. Sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Dale Falwell, the state treasurer of North Carolina, is our guest, and uh, we've been talking about all sorts of things that affect the uh, not only the present uh, financial situation of the state of North Carolina, but also our future concerns. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. If you happen to be listening to one of the stations that carries the half-hour version of this program, the other segment is available on Carolina Newsmakers also, and you can listen to that as our producer, Jason Kong, segregates that and puts it up in that way. Uh, Dale Falwell is with us, and uh, Dale, because so many people join the broadcast uh, in progress and don't hear the very first segment, let's do a brief recap of the uh, transparency that you're seeking in the state health plan where you are asking for a clear pricing pro- mm-hmm. uh, uh, project where you're asking the hospitals and medical care providers to tell the consumers how much it's going to cost before they uh, uh, go in. Sure. Well, the clear pricing project is basically doing what people do every day in their everyday life. For example, when they go to a grocery store, they see a price on the aisle by an item and they're able to determine the value and the price of it. With healthcare, it's like going to a grocery store and there's no prices on any product. Then when you check out, you don't get a receipt. Then four months after you've consumed it, you get a receipt that you don't understand. So all we're trying to do is increase transparency, push the control out to the consumer, and as a result, lower healthcare cost. Now, just in the last few days, the President of the United States has signed an executive order about transparency, surprise billing, out-of-network, and all the other things that we've been actually doing in, in North Carolina for over, for over a year. Uh, it's important that the president is talking about these things, but we're actually doing these things in North Carolina. 
So the clear pricing is about more transparency, giving the control to the consumer so they can actually consume health care, and that will result in lower cost. What are we going to do with the $250 million of savings inside the clear pricing project? Uh, one thing we're going to do is we're going to lower family premiums. A beginning teacher and a beginning trooper in North Carolina this year has to work one week out of every four to pay the family premium on the state health plan, which is the largest purchaser of health care in North Carolina. There's no reason that the largest purchaser of something cannot do it better and more efficiently, especially on behalf of teachers, troopers, and other state employees across the state. So that's the initiative that we have going on with the state health plan. And we're in our last week of contracting. We have had, had tens of thousands of providers who have signed on the clear pricing. Now, these are the providers. Correct. Yeah, and that's, that's a good sign. Yeah. That's a good sign. Our score for hospitals is zero. Uh, no hospitals have signed on the clear pricing project. Their spokespeople have said uh, in many different ways that uh, there's no way that their association or the hospitals they control is going to, re- is going to sign on to, to clear pricing. And as I've said in the earlier segment, literally just a mile from where we're sitting, you can get the same procedure done by two different medical providers across the street from each other, and there's dramatic difference on what those cost. Since we've launched the Clear Pricing Project, I had somebody call me uh, from an area between here and Pinehurst uh, last week who had to get an, an upper and a lower GI done. Uh, a family member had to get an upper and lower GI image done. And one place, the first place they went, it was $5,000. And the second place they went, it was $700. You know, people just need to know what this stuff costs. But, and the reason is, is not only about being able to afford health insurance for their families, being able to actually afford to get sick, but, but the main reason that this is so important is that so much of our economy is, is driven by something that people don't know the price of or the value of. Now, is this something you can do without legislation or – because you're the purchaser and you're the administrator of the plan? Uh, that's correct. Yep. And as your listeners may know, that there is a piece of legislation that has uh, been filed. It's passed the House of Representatives. It's uh, currently in the Senate Rules Committee. And uh, to actually stop us from doing anything to lower prices or increase transparency. And, you know, when I put my left hand on the Bible and raise my right hand, uh, to be the keeper of the public purse, I intend to do everything I can to to lower cost and to make sure we're not spending a penny or a paper clip unnecessarily. And that's why the State Employees Association of North Carolina, which is the voice of public service workers, has actually come out and enthusiastically endorsed what we're doing. Uh, other legislation that uh, is pending that uh, will affect us uh, or affect your office? Well, as I said earlier, the Solvency Fund, we. Uh, probably a main reason that there was not money put in the solvency fund this year is that is that uh, the rainy day fund we had rain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was doing this interview last year, we had over two billion dollars in the rainy day fund. Uh, now we only have one point three billion in the rainy day fund just because it rained a lot, and uh, obviously that will get uh, uh, replenished. We hope that the rains will hold off and not have any catastrophic things like we had happen. Uh, last year and uh, get the rainy day fund built back up so the overflow can go into the solvency fund to start dealing with these unfunded pension and health care liabilities. Uh, and uh, so and, and I want to put in one more. We've got uh, a couple of minutes here. Uh, one more uh, plug in here for folks who uh, probably 
in many cases have some of that $750 million that's in your in your possession that actually belongs to them? How can they find out how to get their money? Well, I've noticed you've never said that word that I have so much trouble with. but uh, they go I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's called nccash.com. Uh, it's not a gimmick. These are unclaimed things, and uh, it could be a, a dividend check from Duke Power. It could be a uh, where you overpaid Duke Power or somebody designated you as a beneficiary of a life insurance policy that you didn't know about or electric co-op dividend. It could be a bank account that somebody set up for you as a child. and you Or you, you know, didn't notify somebody when you changed the dress and right. so forth. Yeah. So this is unclaimed property. This is money that belongs to the citizens of this state. We actually have more records of things than we have people. So the chances are somebody listening to your show of the tens and hundreds of thousands of people that listen to your show every week, uh, many, many of those folks have money at the unclaimed uh, property division of the state treasurer's office. If you have an unusual name like Falwell, uh, you can just put in Falwell. If you've lived in another state, every state has one of these uh, escheats funds. You can put in your name there. And uh, if you have a common name like Curtis, you need to you know, put a first name in probably the city you lived in. But it'll literally pull up every Curtis that has money in the unclaimed property division, so, and there's the way of claiming so let it. Let me get this straight. You're saying Curtis is common and Falwell is, is special. An acquired taste. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want but, to say that you for know, you. Interesting <laughs> enough, I've checked this, and I found money that belongs to me in that fund, and I, I was surprised because I've, I've always thought that I kept up with everything. Yeah. And uh, so it, it is interesting, and, and it uh, – it's it's like free money. I mean, it's tax paid money. I mean, you you don't pay income on it, income tax on it. Right. It's money that we're trying to get back to its rightful yeah. owner. Yeah. Well, Dale, thank you so much for sharing uh, your thoughts with us and bringing us up to date on the economy in North Carolina and particularly the workings of your office as you uh, wrestle with uh, all the, uh, the the task of managing the one hundred and one billion dollars of state funds investments and also. Uh, taking care of the health care uh, for insurance for over, what, 725 or so thousand citizens. Mm-hmm. We look forward to you being back with us again. And, uh, uh, again, a reminder that if you uh, would like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. Or if you're listening to one of the stations that carries only the half-hour version, you can hear the other half-hour. It's segmented uh, in a separate segment. So uh, our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week on the same group of stations all across North Carolina. So the next week, same time, same station. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.